0: this morning is looked for and while you're turning to the passage let me just say that at village the bible is central to everything we do the bible is god's primary way of speaking to his people and it shapes everything we believe and everything we do the bible is god's word his gift to us the church because of this after i finish reading i will say this is the word of the lord and we will all respond together thanks be to god If you don't own a Bible and you would like one, there are some on the shelf at the back, so please feel free to take them home with you. Um, Now let's hear the Lord speak to us this morning, and that's from Luke 2, 21 to 40. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord And then he came in in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, and you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what had been said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, behold, the child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your very own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer every day and night. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. And I'm just going to pray before Andrew comes up um father i thank you for your words i thank you that it is such a gift to us lord i thank you that yeah you can bring it alive so i just pray this morning lord that you would still our hearts lord that you would soften them and that you would open them to hear whatever um elder has prepared and lord i just pray for elder i pray that you bless him and um, i pray that you'd fill him with wisdom and courage um and yeah lord i just pray yeah that your name will be glorified um through this message in your name i pray
1: Thanks, Jackie. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Uh, If if you're visiting with us or if this is your first time, my name is Andrew. I'm the uh, pastor here in Village South. Um, Before we get into our sermon this morning, there's one more thing that I want to mention. I want to give it special mention. Together with Village East, um, we're we're running a a three-week, it's called a course, but I don't think that's the best way to describe it, but it's called Hope Explored. And um, this is really a a chance for us to chat with our non-Christian friends um, about the hope that we have in Jesus. Um, We're running this over uh, three nights, um, between the end of January and then into February, the 27th, the 3rd, and the 10th, Um, and and we're exploring these themes of hope, peace, and and purpose. Um, And really the idea is we're hoping that, that you would have someone that maybe you've been you know what it's like when you have non-Christian friends, and we all do, and you can have lots of nice conversations about how Christianity is good for you, but sometimes it can be really difficult to kind of translate that to them and say, actually, I really think you need this too. Now, I know there's lots of you who are really good at that, and I'm in awe of you because I'm not very good at it, um, even though it's technically my job, uh, but this is, a, this is a, a tool that we can use to say, listen, you know I, you know I'm a Christian, you know I've been talking to you about this. Do you want to find out more about this? Do you want to know the reason for the hope that I have in my life? Um, And and that's what we're doing. It's these three nights, and we'd love you to to bring a a non-Christian friend to that. Um, We're praying for we're praying for five. We're praying for five non-believers to come each of these three weeks. But I, I really think we I really think we can do more than that. But that's what we're praying for. We're praying the Lord would give us five people. What can they expect if they come on those nights? It's going to be, well, it's village, so it's going to be really chilled and relaxed. Um, Alan uh, McCluggage, one of the pastors in the East, he's going to be kind of leading the first one of these, and other people are going to be um, uh, getting involved. And there's a, a kind of short video each time, and um, there's going to be uh, tea and coffee, obviously, and all that kind of stuff, sitting around tables, chatting. Just, it's really. Starting points for conversations. That's what this is. So, would love you to maybe pray about um, who you could invite along to that, and then say, and then and then do that. Say, hey, would you like to come and find out more about what I believe, and uh, yeah, all these things that they've seen in your life up to this point? So, so do bear that in mind. And and even if you're not going to be there, uh, pray for these things as well. One of the main purposes of the church is, um, as we'll see later on, the Christian life is about telling people about Jesus um and, and we want to we want to bring people into his kingdom and, and and that's one of the reasons why god has put us here um so do pray for that as well and we're going to keep this in in our minds um we'll have it in announcements over these next few weeks just so that it's fresh in our minds um but do consider who could i bring to that and who would like to or who would i like to share the gospel with okay great i'm actually going to pray one more time before we begin Um, this sermon, because I feel like I need the Lord's help, and I feel like we all need the Lord's help to hear what he has to say. i got to be honest, I've really struggled with this passage this week, not because I didn't enjoy it or because I didn't understand it, but because it just made me wrestle with a lot of stuff in my own heart. Um, So I want to pray and ask for the Lord's help. This is the second Sunday in our series in Luke, um, and last week we saw how Luke or how not look how Jesus gives us certainty how Jesus is our certainty and this week we're going to see how Jesus is our salvation so let me pray for us and then we'll get stuck into this passage Heavenly Father um, we can't ever pray to you uh, too often uh, we want to ask for your help Lord we're just like we infants and uh, we're a bit clueless and we need you to speak clearly to us remind us again of your love for us um, show us how good Jesus is. We need your help, and we love you. Amen. Um, We started this series last Sunday, but in actual fact, we really started looking at the book of Luke in Advent. If you remember, we looked at the events around Jesus' birth, the whole way up to where we finished on Christmas Eve, which was with the shepherds. In the field, the angel appears and says, you're going to find this baby. He's going to be lying in the manger. And then the heavenly host appears and sings this crazy song. And, the, and sure enough, the shepherds go and they find the baby Jesus lying in the, in the manger. And then they go off back to their fields and back to work, praising God as they go. And this is where we picked up our story this morning um, with Jackie Red. And in verse 21, we learn that, uh, that Jesus... At the end of eight days, after he's eight days old, he is circumcised. Like all Jewish boys were circumcised. It literally means cut off. It was a way of, I mean, I don't, I don't think I need to go into the details of what that is right now. But it's literally a sign that, that God's people are cut off, separate from the world. Makes me a bit squirrely thinking about it. Um, and then on top of that, he's given the name Jesus. And so right away, we see something really important about Mary and Joseph. We see in this verse and in the following verses that Mary and Joseph are obedient and faithful to God. Um, I'm just looking at Tom and Amy here because they've got baby Quinn. He's only a couple of months old. I was completely clueless when we had our first baby. There was all kinds of stuff that had to happen that I didn't realize. Um, I remember when we had Finley, it was my responsibility to, the day after he was born, to go down to City Hall and to register the birth. Now, that is both a level of responsibility and risk, okay? Because he could have been called anything, right? And I had all kinds of things. You hear these stories that like, you know, it's like, you know, David Eric Cantona Smith or something, like if a dad's a United fan or something like that. Um, on top of this, there's like midwife home visits. Later on, there's like, the, you, you know, getting the, wee, the baby's wee injections organized, buying nappies. How many times did I come home with the wrong size nappies? Because you think babies are like big but they're not they need these like their size zero nappies were like the size all these kinds of things and Mary and Joseph are in the same position except for them they didn't have to go to city hall they had all these kind of Jewish laws that they had to obey and fulfill laws that were handed down from God to Moses to the Israelites laws put in place to to not for no reason but to show God's people how to live as God's people Laws that reminded them and then also showed the world that that God is holy and his people are to be holy too. And so Mary and Joseph had Jesus circumcised. And, and, And not only that, they obeyed God by giving him this name, the name that God had given to them. They called him Jesus, which means God saves. Literally, Yahweh is salvation. The Lord God is salvation. And we see more of their obedience as we read on. You see, the law says that, that 40 days after childbirth, the, the mother had to come to the temple to pure her, purify herself before the Lord. And in this case, I think this is really interesting. Uh, J- Joseph is included in this purification ritual because most likely he had helped deliver the baby. The law also says that you had to bring your firstborn son and present him in the temple before the Lord, dedicating him into the service of God. And this is exactly what Mary and Joseph do. Here we have Jesus' parents being faithful to the Word of God, living in obedience to God, faithfully just doing what God says to do on behalf of their child. There's a really good lesson in that for us, And, and maybe we'll see more of that next week. Travis is going to come and teach us on the next section, When They Lose, Baby Jesus—he's not a baby; he's a child by then. But they lose the Son of God, and maybe we'll see some more of that kind of faithful parent stuff. But the point is that Jesus has God-honoring, Word of God obeying, faithful, loving parents. Now, why, why does why does Luke include these details? Because we know they're in there for a reason. That none of Scripture is redundant. God has given us every word for a reason. So why did Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, decide that we we need to know that that Mary and Joseph had Jesus circumcised, obeyed the purification laws, and dedicated Jesus at the temple? In other words, what does Mary and Joseph's faithfulness tell us about our Jesus, about the Lord Jesus? Because these these details about Mary and Joseph, I think, show us more about Jesus than they do about Mary and Joseph. And here's what we see. Ethan, please. Through his parents' faithfulness, we see that Jesus meets us in our sin. That Jesus meets us in our sin. Now, one thing we need to bear in mind here is that for his own sake, Jesus didn't need to submit to any of the Jewish laws. He didn't need to to submit to to God's laws. 1 John 2 verse 3 tells us that in him was no sin. He was completely without sin. He wasn't born with the same fallen nature that every one of us are born with. And so his parents having him circumcised and dedicated to the temple. And then later on Jesus living in himself, living in complete obedience to the law. Is not because he needed to be made right with God. He was already one with the Father. He always has been one with the Father. And what we need to see here is that Jesus obeying the law of God was not for his sake, but for our sake. In other words, Jesus being circumcised and dedicated in the temple was this public sign that that he truly had come to be one of his people. He truly had come uh, to, to join us in our sinfulness. And in Mary and Joseph's faithful obedience to the law, God is declaring, I have come to meet you where you are, in your need, in your sinfulness, under the law, unable to fulfill the law. This is a a public sign and declaration that Jesus is fully human. Paul tells us in Galatians 4 that, that he was born under the law. And, and it's not uh, born under the law that Jesus could perfectly obey the law and therefore fulfill the law. And this is really good news for us. And then let me explain why this is good news for us. Jesus, the Son of God, meets us in our deepest need, our sinfulness. Now, let me explain. Maybe you've heard that the, the gospel um, explains something a little bit like this. That we're in the water, floating around, and Jesus comes along in a boat, and He throws us a lifeline and pulls us onto His boat in safety, and, and then we both seal off into the the heavenly sunset together, something like that. That we're drowning in the water, and Jesus throws us a lifeline. That's not actually a good representation of the gospel. In actual fact, what happens is that we have already drowned face down, dead in the water, and Jesus comes along and jumps into the water with us and is himself drowned and then somehow is raised back to life again and onto the boat and in doing so, raises us to life, into safety with him. That's the gospel. That Jesus joins us in our deepest need. He's born under the law because that's where we all are. None of us could could perfectly keep God's law. Romans 3, verse 10 tells us that there are none who are righteous, not even one. But Jesus, having no sin of his own, joins us under God's law, under God's judgment, voluntarily, for our sake. He can perfectly keep God's law on our behalf. And we no longer have to keep God's laws the Old Testament laws, because when we trust in Jesus, we're joined by faith to the one who has perfectly and completely fulfilled the law. In other words, what that means is, to to put it in a terms that might be easier to understand, we don't have to rely on our own righteousness. We don't have to rely on our own righteousness to try and fulfill these laws to come close to holy God. We just, by faith, lay claim to his righteousness. Do you see how good news this is? I don't know why, but this week um, was a busy one um, and it was for me, and it was, it was one of those weeks where I was just really aware of my own sinfulness, even right up until right now. And I don't know why this week in particular, but it just seemed that every turn I was just faced with my own sin. And I have to tell you that sometimes it feels like there's no end. Um, do you know how roots of a, a tree... Up near the surface, they're like thick and big, but the deeper you go, they get smaller and finer and more tangled until it's just these minute, tiny little threads. That feels like what my sin is. In the smallest and finest parts of my heart and my mind, uh, just like tangled roots all around me. And maybe you know that, and it can be a hopeless feeling. Well, here's the good news. We don't have to try and find enough goodness in ourselves to come close to God's holiness. That would be impossible. All we have to do is lay claim to the goodness and holiness of Jesus. So no matter how bad you are, no matter how imperfect you are, no matter how corrupt you are, no matter how, how those thoughts that you have and the privacy of your own mind are, there is more than enough, more than enough goodness in Jesus to bring you close to God. His righteousness is more than enough. This should be our, our, our the first thing we realize when we think of Jesus. Um, I was reminded of this this morning and I looked it up and, 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 and copied it in here so I could read it to you. Martin Luther said, in one of his teachings, he said, so when the devil throws your sins in your face, declares that you deserve death and hell. Tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf, and his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And where he is, there shall I be also. Jesus had... Good, faithful parents, and, and, and God orchestrated this. He knew that Mary and Joseph would be good, faithful parents who would obey the law. And, and his parents' faithfulness, bringing him under the law, shows that just in, and by his goodness, we're brought close to God. Isn't that good news? It's okay to say yes. <laughs> now, as we read on, uh, we, we meet two more characters in this story. Um, Two fascinating old people, Um, so we're a pretty young church, most of us, not looking at anyone in particular near the back, but um, (laughs) Joe gets picked on an awful lot. Um, uh, uh, But it's good for us to learn from older people, and there's a lot we can learn. The first person we meet is this crazy old, I say crazy, the Bible doesn't say crazy, but he seems a bit crazy, old man called Simeon. Uh, Look look at verse 25 again. This is what we we, uh, learn about Simeon. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Introduction to Simeon. He was righteous and devout. That, that just means that Simeon walks with the Lord. He had a good relationship with God. He also says that, that he's waiting on the consolation of Israel. This is from language that we use in, in, in the Advent season, isn't it? Like, we're waiting for the hope, the comfort, the encouragement of Israel. This is the hope that God would come and rescue and come. And this is what Simeon is longing and hoping for. And we're told also that the Holy Spirit was upon him. There's this powerful anointing of the Holy Spirit on Simeon. And remember, at this time, this wasn't the usual thing. We all have the Holy Spirit in us because when we receive Jesus, we receive his Spirit. But before the time of Jesus where Simeon lived, it was quite unusual. Anointing on his life. And lastly, in this weird kind of thing, the Lord had told Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ, until he had seen the Messiah. Right? He's this old guy, and he's only got one thing on his bucket list. I want to see the Lord's Christ. I want to see them be like, Wake up every day and you're looking for him. And then suddenly he wakes up and he realizes he's an old man. And he's like, Lord, I mean, today might be the day because I don't have long left. And one day he gets up and the Spirit leads him to go to the temple. And so he does. And he goes into the, 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 the court of uh, the, the, the outer court where the Gentiles and the women were allowed uh, because he meets Mary there and there's another woman, Anna, there. Another sign that Jesus is coming for all people. And Simeon sees Mary and Joseph with this baby, and instantly he knows. The Holy Spirit tells him, this is the one I've been waiting for. And so he, he goes and, and, and takes, have you ever thought about how weird this is? He just goes and like, takes their baby. Can I hold your baby? <laughs> Does the lion, I imagine it's like the Lion King thing. <laughs> ah. um, maybe it wasn't. In my head, it's like that. But Mary and Joseph, who you have to imagine are probably getting pretty used to weird stuff happening to them. Angels showing up and shepherds coming into, you know, you know, all this kind of crazy stuff happening. Dreams and visions. They're used to this weird stuff happening. And so they listen to what Simeon has to say. And they are amazed. So what does Simeon's song tell us about Jesus? Well, it tells us that Jesus is inclusive And he's divisive, or divisive, depending on how you pronounce that word. He both includes and he divides. Listen to what he sings. Listen to what his song is, his blessing, in verses 29 to 32. He says, Lord, now your heart in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. He's holding baby Jesus in his arms, and the first thing that comes into Simeon's mind is God's word. He says, "Lord, finally, I can die in peace. You have kept your promise. You said I wouldn't die, and your Messiah, and here He is. I have peace in my heart now. I'm happy to go. There's nothing more for me to do. My, my bucket list is complete. This child, He is your salvation." And in verses 31 to 32, in his song, he describes what the salvation that Jesus brings is like. Jesus is, is, this, is radically inclusive. This is what we see. Who did Jesus come to save? You ever think about that question? Well, Simeon says that, that Jesus has come for all peoples. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, And for the glory of your people. Salvation is for people. The way the the Jewish mind divided the world back then was that there was us, the Jews, God's people, and then there was everybody else, the Gentiles. Like we kind of knew a little bit how that feels we're in, in our part of the world. Us and them, right? And actually, what's interesting about this is two things. Firstly, Simeon mentions the Gentiles first. He says, you're going to, your salvation is a light for revelation for the Gentiles. And then secondly, this word Gentiles, in Greek it's ethnos. It's where we get the word ethnicities from. This song, Simeon is saying, God's anointed, someone anointed by the Holy Spirit, God's prophet is saying, God's grace has come for all people, Jews and Gentiles. His salvation is being offered to everyone. There's no distinction. There's no reference to your tribe or race or nationality or gender. Nothing about you is keeping salvation away from you. This is a great message that we get to take to our friends, isn't it? There's nothing about you that precludes you from coming to Jesus. His salvation is for you. And we'll see this play out in the life of Jesus as we work our way through the rest of this book. We'll see him extend compassion and mercy to women and to men, to the rich and to the poor. To to the racial outsiders, the Gentiles, to the morally upright people, and to those who are moral failures, to good citizens and to criminals, to addicts and those who are sober, His grace is extended to all. Now, as kind of modern progressive people, we love this, don't we? We love it. We say, Amen. This is great. Yeah, Jesus is inclusive of all. The jagged edge to this truth. This means that God's grace and his salvation has also come to the people that we don't like. The people that we despise, the ones that we find awful or annoying. This means that, in turn, we are called to carry his grace and mercy to the people we don't like, that we don't naturally get on with, the people who are different from us. If you find yourself more on the left politically, well, his grace and salvation is for those on the right. And if you find yourself on the right politically, his grace and his mercy are for those on the left. If you think anti-vaxxers are crazy and irresponsible, well, his grace and mercy is for them too. If you roll your eyes at getting a vaccination or wearing a mask is just silly, well, his grace and mercy is for the other people too. If you're green, his grace has come for the orange. If you're orange, his grace has come for the green. His grace and mercy has not just come for us. Think about our city and the people that you might see. His grace and mercy has come for the Roma people, the Muslim people, the working class people, the immigrants and the refugees. His grace and mercy has come for the Catholics and the Protestants and the guy begging outside the mace. His grace and mercy has come for the queer and trans community and for the racist homophobe that lives down your street. Here's the point. Jesus has come not just for the people in our tribe, the people on our team. Jesus has come for all people. And we get to follow his footsteps and go to all people too. We get to live radically inclusive lives. Church, let's live our lives in such a way that that shows just how radically inclusive the grace of Jesus is. Anne Lamont has this great quote where she says, you can safely assume you've created God in your image when it turns out God hates all the same people you do. (laughs) She's saying... That you can safely assume that if that's your uh, version of God, that, that God disagrees with all the things you disagree with and agrees with all the things you agree with, that that's not the God of all people. Because the God of the Bible we see here is Jesus being radically inclusive, uncomfortably inclusive. And as we go through and see his baby, this prophecy comes true. This inclusiveness is what Jesus lives out. He has dinner with people we would never dream of having dinner with. Uncomfortable, uncomfortably inclusive. He offers his saving grace to all people. Now here's the tension. Because we also see that Jesus is divisive. He's inclusive, but he also brings division. Now you might think, well, how can that be? These things are opposites, aren't they? How can you be inclusive and divisive at the same time? Well, just after Simeon gives us, he turns to Mary, and he offers her this—it's it's ominous message. Look at verse thirty-four. He says, "Behold, this child is appointed." That's literally there's a destiny set in his life, is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. He's saying, "Mary, this is no ordinary child." Some people are going to rise up and some are going to fall down on account of his child, on account of this child. This word fall means to crash, to ruin. It's absolute calamity. And the word rise literally means resurrection, like raised to life, raised from the dead. And Simeon says, this child will bring about both of these things for many people. Some will worship him and some will oppose him. That's what he says at the end of that verse, isn't it? He's going to be opposed. Can you imagine hearing that as a parent with a a 40-day-old baby? He's so cute. You love him. You're doting on him. And then this man says to you, when he grows up, people are going to hate him. He's going to experience opposition and conflict. And here's the point. Jesus is going to divide the world. And this isn't the Christmas card Jesus. Well, let's just, you know, we'll, we'll just keep it like peace on earth and good tidings, that's great. And Simeon says, yes, that's true, but, but also this child will divide. You see, if all we know is the baby Jesus lying in the manger, this doesn't really make sense. But when we look closely at the things Jesus said, the, the claims he made about himself, it actually makes a lot of sense. The claims that Jesus made about himself are so audacious, so bold, and so seemingly over the top that they, by their very nature, cause division, right? In Matthew 28, Jesus says about himself, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a, that means the nation of Israel. He has he is authority over the Roman Empire. He has he authority over the United Kingdom and the Republic of Ireland. He, he controls every death, every birth, all authority. He controls galaxies and planetary orbits and weather systems. There's not a rogue molecule in the entire universe that is outside of his control. And that's what Jesus is saying. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I mean, imagine that's a crazy claim. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to a group of Jews. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. That means that before Abraham was born, I am. I have always existed. I was there. There's never, there's never been a time when an identity claims that Jesus makes about himself are absolutely staggering. Think of it this way. The culture that we find ourselves in, it isn't actually becoming less religious. It's becoming more religious. Isn't it? In a way, we're, we're encouraged to be open to everything. Um, you know, be, be, be open to any ideas you want to be open. Our culture actually says, be religious, believe in whatever, but let that be your truth. Don't push it on me. Let everyone have their own truth. All religions are valid. Who you say uh, you are, or, or sorry, who are you to say what is right and what's wrong? Truth is whatever is true for you. But, but really think about this. Like to, to Kind of put this into context a little bit. Imagine you came to a gallery on a Sunday morning, a village, and I get up and I say, welcome to village. Uh, You know, we're a community of people. Uh, We're we're seeking after God. We're trying to love God, love our neighbor. Uh, And by the way, I am that God. We worship. I created you, I created your family, I created your friends, I've created every human being on the planet and every molecule I am in charge of and there has never been a time when I haven't existed. I am eternal, I am God in the flesh and you owe your allegiance and the totality of your existence should fall down in worship of me. Now, if I said that, there's only two rational responses. One response is to say, well, I believe him. He's telling the truth. I, I want to bow down and worship him right now. Or option two is, that guy is mad. He is crazy. And I think we actually need to alert somebody, alert the authorities. There's some weird dude leading a, a cult in Belfast, telling everyone he's, he's God, really to two responses. Now here's the response that doesn't make sense. You would never... Come to a gallery and hear me say that and say afterwards, well, that was a cool service. The village seems like a cool church. That guy's nice. That was good talk, some good inspiration. That just wouldn't, that just doesn't make sense. And in the same way, Jesus doesn't give us that option either. He, he, he forces us to choose. You really only have two options where the only rational response is to crown him as the king of the universe and to say, I believe that he is who he says he is. You either crown Jesus or you crucify him. Do you see how divisive divisive Jesus is? Either crucify him or crown him. There's no space in the middle. And how often, to our detriment, especially in our Northern Irish we Christian bubble, do we try to live in the middle? We, we want to give Jesus a wee bit of lip service now and again. We'll come to gather him when it's convenient. Or we'll, we'll put like Jesus follower in our Instagram bio, you know. Coffee, life, whatever, you know. I don't know. <laughs> Put it in mine. You can, uh, you can look at mine. But the point is, if you're trying to live in that middle space, you haven't really thought about these claims. We, if, you, if you're trying to live in that middle space, it, it, it doesn't make sense. Jesus, the, Jesus by the very words he says, who he is, doesn't let us hang out in that middle space. If you're saying, I don't have any say my life. I like Jesus. I like, he's a good teacher. But he can't really tell me about uh, my money or my sexuality or my friendships or how I think about my neighbors then you haven't really considered Jesus. When you read through the gospel, nobody just likes Jesus. No one's like, oh, Jesus, he's a good guy, doing some pretty good things. No. They either want to to murder him or they want to worship him. People come up and, and they bow down and worship him and call him Lord, or they get together with their friends and say, we need to find a way to kill this guy and get rid of him. There's no middle space. He's radically inclusive. Grace, salvation offered to all people, yet he's also incredibly divisive. Crown him or crucify him. And the question for us is, how do we see Jesus? Simeon saw Jesus and didn't just see a nice wee baby boy with good God-honoring parents and say, guys, you're doing a great job having your baby dedicated. That's a great thing to do, good job. When he saw Jesus, he saw and recognized him as the salvation of God. And when he saw Jesus in this way, you know what happened? He instantly realized that he is just an important thing in life. And he was instantly happy to die. He was instantly happy to give up his life. His bucket list was truly complete. If you think about a bucket list, I saw uh, one thing on the internet this week, which was good. Um, And and I say good in that kind of funny and weird, um, but each their own. And it was a guy who did a bucket list for his dog. Uh, His dog got cancer, which is very sad. And he put his dog in a wee cart and took him around 35 cities in America. So there you go. His dog had a bucket list. It's their own. But the bucket list, a bucket list is about finding contentment and satisfaction in life. It's about saying, I've got enough out of life that I'm happy to let go. That's the whole point of a bucket list. Well, can I tell you, in Jesus, that's exactly what we find. When we see Jesus, not just as a good teacher or a nice guy, but as God's salvation, and when we receive him, that's when we receive true and complete contentment. The apostle Paul knew this. He, he saw Jesus for who he is and received him fully. And what did he say? In Philippians 3, verse 8, he said, Everything else is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His has discarded everything else, counting it all as rubbish, so I could gain Christ. He knew the supreme value. He says, listen, nothing in life is as valuable as this. You want a complete life? Get Jesus. He says also in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. So let me ask us again, how do we, do we have that peace and contentment that he brings? Can we be like Simeon and said, Lord, you know what? I'm ready to depart in peace because I've seen your salvation." That's a cheery start to the year, isn't it? Are you ready to die? But it's an important question. Now, I'm looking at this new time clock we have at the back. No one turn around. And uh, I've got a whole section to go. So there's one final character. Uh, that as we read to the rest of this passage that we need to be introduced to. And her name is Anna. Uh, Anna, um, you know what? I'll just read the verses, 36 to 38. Um, there was a prophetess, Anna the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Actually, I think it means that she had been a widow for 84 years. And she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, when Mary and Joseph and Simeon, that's all happening, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna is this incredible woman of faith. Uh, she had been married for only seven years when her husband has died. It's that time of faithful servant to God. She just said, well, I, I don't want to get married again, or I'm, I'm not able to get married again, or whatever it was. And she's like dedicated her life to serving God in the temple. She's always in the temple, worshiping God, praying and fasting. She's one of those invaluable people that every church needs. She's a a, a prayer warrior. You know that old She's that woman who's just, when she says, I'm praying for you, you know she's praying for you. She speaks with authority. She was a prophet. That that means this is the Bible's way of saying that that she had the authority of God on her life, that, that when she says, listen, God is saying, that actually means that God was saying. So what does Anna's story tell us about Jesus. Well, Anna's adoration shows us that Jesus gives us purpose. Anna had been faithfully serving God for 84 years. Faithfully and expectantly waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, as Luke puts it in this way. Now look at her response to finally seeing Jesus. Because she doesn't respond in quite the same way Simeon does. Simeon was like, well, Lord, that's it. You know He said, I've seen your salvation. I'm a bucket list that's complete. I'm ready to go. Anna wasn't like this at all. She sees the arrival of the Messiah. She recognizes him as God's salvation. And then she says, this is great. Time to go to work. I've got a new lease of life here. Anna's response to seeing Jesus gives us this great example to follow. She gives thanks and starts telling Jesus. And actually, the way this is written In the original language, it's called the imperfect tense. And it shows us that this wasn't a one-time thing. Anna began to give thanks to God and tell people about Jesus, and then went on doing so. This is a continual thing. You see, when Anna met Jesus, she received a new purpose. Now, bear in mind that women in that culture got married in their teenage years, and she's been a widow for 84 years. So most scholars agree that Anna's around 105 (laughs) Like, she is old. And when she meets Jesus, she doesn't see it as the end of her life, but as the start of a new life. Isn't that incredible? Like, can you imagine 105? Don't let anyone ever tell you that you're not useful for Jesus because of the stage of your life. Whether you're in youth, or or whether you're a student, or whether you're a young parent with young kids and all the craziness of that, or whether you're old and retired, Jesus gives us all a purpose. Anna's new purpose in life shows us our purpose in life. In Christians, people who know, as Christians, people who know you are to be marked by thankfulness to God and speaking of Jesus. Those are the two things that should define us. This is what the Christian life is. And it's simple. Thankfulness to God. Speaking of Jesus. Now I'm not saying it's easy. We'll face opposition just like Jesus did. The Christian life definitely isn't easy. But it is. Thank God for what he has done for us. And then tell other people about it. This is what Anna immediately begins to do. It says at that very hour. That's the Bible's way of saying immediately. Right now. We get. To speak of Jesus. That's our privilege. This is our purpose. Church, this is our calling. This is our blessing. We get to speak of Jesus. We get to tell people about our Jesus. You you know those moments in your life when you're speaking with a friend and and you're talking about, I mean, I have this with Tim sometimes. We go over a pint. We're talking about how good Jesus is. We get to do that with everyone, I think after having spent all week reading this passage, Anna has become one of the people I most want to spend time with in heaven. Um, Just so encouraging. I mean, if, if an old woman who's 105 can find purpose in Jesus, how much more can we? Most of us in this room have the majority of our lives ahead of us. So can we do something this week? Can we practice this? Can we put thankful and speak about Jesus? I have to tell you that I really struggle with both these things. I'm not naturally a thankful person. I'm naturally a complainer. Ask Haley. Like, I, I, I'm I'm owner. Like, I love a good gurn about this, that, and the other. I need practice at this. And my hunch is that we all do, don't we? So can we do this? Can we practice being thankful? We practice simply telling people about the hope we found in Jesus. Because think about what we've learned this morning. If we consider what we've learned, we'll realize that Anna's response to seeing Jesus is the one that we want to copy. Jesus joins us in our sinfulness and and gives us his goodness and righteousness so we can be with God in all his holiness. Jesus is the salvation that is for all people. And when we receive his salvation, we receive so much peace that nothing else in life even comes close. So how could we not be like our big sister, Anna? Church, let's be people marked by thankfulness who speak about Jesus to all people. What a purpose that is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we wanna thank you that you are our salvation. We wanna thank you for all the nuance that that means, these, these things that we've seen this morning. Father, I pray that we would be uh, given new life just like Anna this morning, that we would be get, receive that new purpose that you've given us with thankfulness, speaking about Jesus. I pray we'd be like Simeon also, content, peaceful, because we've met the Christ, because we've met your salvation. Father, I pray that you would uh, just impact our hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, speak to us now, even just in the quietness of this moment. Um, Lord, I know that lots of us are are, are faced with our own sinfulness, our sin, where we feel. Lord, I pray that you would just show us again that, that you have forgiven us, that there is more than enough, more than enough goodness in you to bring us close to God. We love you, Jesus. Help us be thankful and help us talk about you. In your name and for your glory, amen.